0: Hello and welcome to Delete, Delete, Engage, the podcast supercharging engagement at work with tips and insights from some of the world's finest communicators. Will Lewis is Global Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer at consumer credit reporting company Experian, a business with 20,000 employees and operations in 55 global locations. My chat with Will was in many ways one of the most daunting since I started the Delete, Delete, Engage podcast because I really didn't want to mess it up. Diversity and inclusion is a hugely important issue for businesses across the world, and communications is absolutely fundamental to internal and external engagement and action. I was keen to get Will's view on how we can address the fact that many straight white men like me may not feel as connected to the D&I cause as people who've been marginalised or discriminated against in their life and their career. Equally, many leaders and communicators are often extremely nervous around how they talk and write about diversity and inclusion, in case they say the wrong thing or use the wrong language, effectively being paralysed into inaction. These were among the concerns and challenges at the heart of my conversation with Will, a captivating guest who provides a clear, candid and thoughtful view of where DNI is today, where it needs to be and what we can all do to move things forward. Enjoy the podcast. So, Will, welcome to Delete, Delete, Engage. Uh, it's such an honor to have you on the podcast. And you're actually a, a double first for me. You're my first guest from the US and the first diversity and inclusion leader to appear on the show. So thank you for that. So firstly, how are you and how are things in Chicago?
1: Blazing new paths, Hugh. That's what you're doing here today. Um, <laughs> I am absolutely a pioneer. <laughs> I am incredible and really thrilled to really thrilled to be here.
0: So I'd just like to start by just just touching on, on your career, really, your career path and kind of what got you into what you do today. So you're Global Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer at Consumer Credit Reporting Company Experian. And I, I know that Experian has, I think it's over, is it over 20,000 employees globally? Is that right? That's right. And across quite a few, I think something like 55 global locations. So you're a big company and you've got a hugely important role within it. So I'd just like to start by asking why does the diversity and inclusion agenda matter so much in business and society today? And what does it mean to you personally?
1: Let's start with what it means to me personally. One of the things Experian does is consumer credit reporting. What we really fancy ourselves as is being able to, to help consumers, right? So consumer credit reporting is one of the things, but it's really how do we introduce tools and technology that ultimately helps consumers achieve their personal life goals? That kind of ties into me, right? And really why, to me, this is a dream role. I remember, you know how when you're a youngster, everyone always asks, what are you going to do when you grow up? You know, what do you want your career to be? And, you know, the answers, particularly when you're very young or I want to be a policeman or, or part of the fire brigade or whatever the case may be, um, a doctor or a lawyer, I always said one of two things. I either want to be a meteorologist because I don't know, I'm fascinated with science or I want to help people. And as I continued my studies and my education on through university, the this idea of helping people continue to be really what rose at the top for me. Now, I didn't quite know what that meant, right? It started out in education, being, you know, studying to become a teacher and educator and and then continuing on with a degree in sociology. And I just don't want it to help people. Well I'm lucky, I think, very fortunate to have found myself at Experian a company that's dedicated to helping to helping consumers helping them achieve their financial life's goals along the way with tools and education and knowledge to do it. And that aligns to really what I want to do as a human. So for me, this is around connecting people, connecting humans to the things that help them be successful.
0: Such a great answer. And and, and why do you think that the, the role that you have at the moment, I think it's, it's probably a role that didn't exist maybe 10, maybe even five years ago, quite in quite the same way it does today. Why is the diversity and inclusion agenda, why is it so important right now, would you say?
1: Yeah, well, there's a couple of, you're right. It didn't exist 10 years ago or so at Experian. It's a role that certainly has existed in other places, but what makes, I think, Experian unique with this role is I have a couple of things that I'm responsible for looking after. And as a matter of fact, let me tell you a little bit about how we view diversity and inclusion. Because I think that'll answer the question around why that agenda is so important as well. When we think about diversity and inclusion at Experian, we really kind of think about it in a couple of tranches, right? It's this focus on our people. So what are we doing for our employees to help our employees achieve their professional uh, best, whether that's promotions while they're in the organization, ensuring that we have a workforce, as representative of the communities in which we uh, do business, and really helping our employees get connected with each other and learning about cultures that are different than their own. That's one of the things we do here at Experian, and frankly, that's a, that's what most companies do in roles like mine as well. Now, we also have this focus at Experian on customers and consumers. Now, Hugh, you're probably thinking, well, what does that mean, customers and consumers? And What the heck does that have to do with DEI, right? I'm guessing. That's what you're asking, right? (laughs) Maybe, (laughs) maybe. Um, Well, essentially, one of the things that we know is that people that have been socioeconomically disadvantaged, individuals that are ethnic minorities, and in many cases, women, haven't had the same access as many others had to credit, to credit tools and products, and or to an understanding of how those things can really work for them to help support them in their financial future. And that's where Experian comes in. What we're really working to do is to produce innovative products to the marketplace, really things that can help consumers get themselves connected in a way like never before to their financial future. Let me give you a really tangible example of what I mean about that. And we're talking about consumers right now. A um, tangible example is we launched a product called Boost, Experian Boost. Essentially, what that is, is bringing positive payment history from consumers into their credit profile report. What do I mean? Your Netflix bill, your mobile payment for, for your mobile service, instead of bringing that into your credit profile, where historically, you wouldn't have gotten credit for that. What we're saying is, this is something that you're paying every month on time. Why shouldn't you bring that into your credit profile, ultimately boosting your score, increasing your possibility to get access to potentially buying a house, if that's your desire, or maybe buying a vehicle, if that's what you need. You know, vehicles, for example, become a lifeline to individuals being able to get access to work, right? You need that car to get back and forth to work or to really feed your livelihood in many cases, depending on where you live. But if you don't have strong credit in some cases or a sponsor, it becomes really difficult for you to be able to do that through these items, these positive payment history that we're going to bring in to your credit profile, we're increasing the likelihood that you'll be able to kind of get access to those things.
0: I love that. And I guess what you're talking about there, um, Will, when it comes to consumers is is financial inclusion, right? Yes. And and um, in the UK, we're experiencing something of a, of a cost of living crisis at the moment. I mean, we're seeing rocketing inflation, you know, rising food bills, rising energy prices because of what's going on uh, within the country and around the world you know that that, so it's something that's really important at the moment isn't it financial inclusion ensuring that people that can't traditionally get access to credit can right now
1: it really really is and i'll tell you the uk is not alone in this cost of living crisis many countries around the world are suffering from something similar it really kind of underscores what a global economy that we're all in right now Mm. Um, i think that's a place where experience can come in and and do our bit to try and really help consumers along the way, and particularly helping them gain understanding and knowledge around what tools that will assist them along the way.
0: Thank you for that. Now, just going back to to the role a little bit, um, I'm just interested in, in in getting your view on how the role has evolved. I know you said that it was a it maybe wasn't a role that existed within experience 10 years ago, but the role has existed for some time. Um, how has that role evolved, would you say, over the last 10 years or so?
1: Yeah. You know there there came a time when the role i think when we think about the role many many years ago it really started out as a role of reporting how many of do we have hmm. right and so um you'd often have a person that went in and ran reports and their whole job was to provide reports to regulatory agencies in the countries which required it how many women do we have how many people uh how many black people do we have how many people of ex descent do we have you know and on goes the Um, And so it was it was a very analytical type of role. Then there came this time when um, corporations realized, gosh, I think we need to do more than report. We need to really start doing things to help support our people. And so what you found were uh, individuals that began to have a reporting analyst on their team, but their job really became Focus on the development of their employees and how to recruit and bring more individuals of diverse backgrounds into the organization along the way. Right? I'd like to believe that now we're at a point where Experian um, is really trying to usher in kind of the next frontier. And that's where the person that's in a role like mine are doing those things that I just mentioned, but then are also thinking about externally. What are we doing in the external marketplace? How are we helping consumers? How are we influencing the products that the company develops inside? And then how are we connecting those products through NGOs, through other businesses, and also directly in the marketplace um to to individuals in society i think that's the next frontier hugh and i, and I think i'd like to believe that we experience on the on the uh, on the forefront of pushing that through but that you know that's kind of a timeline over the last couple of decades if you will you go away from your strictly analytical approach to really being a strategic person that's a part of the C suite and organizations that have direct access to um, the CEOs, the board of directors and the other leaders of a company to really help and drive it. Companies that are truly progressive, companies that that I think are trying to make an impact, put a person in a position, a seasoned, tenured person in position that have that access and have that ability to drive influence
0: as a really prominent leader in in this role are there other uh, leaders from other companies that you're that you're communicating with to kind of get a sense of how you can work together to improve you know the the agenda across the US
1: absolutely you know i i just when you asked that question i almost start listing names and then i realized yeah. no 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 if i list names i'll forget someone and then someone will call <laughs> me and say you didn't mention my name oh but... come on <laughs>
0: no,
1: you'll be fine <laughs> But here's here's what I'll say. Absolutely. Um, There's a couple of different professional organizations, but more more informally, there are a couple of groups that I belong to. Once a month, once every couple of weeks, um, we'll get together and we'll talk about things that are happening inside of our organizations and things that are happening in a more macro level in society. What are we doing in our organizations? And and then we, we actually share with each other how we are approaching those in our organization and give recommendations to each other along the way. I think one of the beautiful things about this work that that I am fortunate enough to do is that there's this there's this low ego environment amongst people that do what I do. And there there isn't this air of competition, right, where I want to beat you at doing something. Instead, it's how can we all help each other? Because we all have this push that's from internal drive, I find, to really try and help make the world a better place, Mm. right? And so um, I'm not a part of just one, but several kind of, uh, you you call it informal professional groups where we come together on a rather routine basis to talk about what's happening in the world. And then how do we we address those things and, and how do we push through them?
0: And I don't want to put you on the spot, because I know you said you don't want to uh, forget anybody, but which, which other businesses, aside from Experian, are, are kind of pushing, pushing the envelope a little bit in terms of d at the moment, would you say?
1: Oh, you're, gonna, you're, you're really going to push the bill. You're, <laughs> I have to tell you, the journalist at Hurt, you are. <laughs> um, here's what I will say. I think there are some industries that are really pushing forward quite a bit. When you think about the work that's being done out of many other financial services organizations, Um, they've really been, look, financial services, um, think about some of the the, the banks, if you will, that are out there, both British banks and banks in other parts of the world. They've really been thinking about this for some time, starting out with representation inside of their company. What do I mean by representation? Ensuring that their employees and their makeup are reflective of what's in the communities in which these, these banks are a part of. They've really been pushing the envelope for many years, and they continue to be focused on the work today as well to try and drive it forward. That's one industry that I would say is doing it. Another one is professional services. And then the third, the third industry are really kind of these consumer brands and consumer products one could argue that some of them have to do it out of necessity because they want to connect with consumers from different backgrounds along the way as well mm. but what you often find is consumer brands consumer product organizations you know the procter and gambles of the world and things say i gave you a name <laughs> groups of that <laughs> sort um really have been uh after this work for some time not only in the type of products they bring to the market but also in how they market and how they show up and how their employees are represented inside their organizations as well.
0: Great. Great answer. And thank you for committing to one name, at least. Really appreciate that, Will. That's great. I'd, I'd like to move on to the uh, D and i agenda a little bit more generally now, because I'm speaking personally here as well. It's a, it's a really important topic, but quite a sensitive topic and one we're quite nervous about. I've interviewed other podcast guests, including pretty prominent comms directors in the UK who sit on the board and they say that actually DNI is one of the things that keeps them awake at night right yeah so it's it's a, it's a really it's a really um, and and I'd, I'd like to just sort of talk a little bit more around that if you if, if you don't mind. Many business leaders and communicators are so terrified about messing up and saying the wrong thing to their employees or the wider world that sometimes they're, for want of a better word, almost paralyzed into inaction. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this yourself, but how, how can we start to tackle that? You know, it's such an important issue, but we're too nervous to take it forward. How can we start to tackle that, would you say?
1: Yeah, you, you know, I, that that's a really courageous question, and I'm going to give you a candid response to it. I think what paralyzes people is this fear of messing up, right? And I think there's an opportunity for us all as as we think about this one here. And that that opportunity is, it will will take some amount of of personal bravery uh, to be able to step out and to say things and know that you will likely mess up at some time along the way. You'll say the wrong thing. You won't get it right. But when you do mess up, it's owning that and saying, you know what, I made a mistake. I'm on my journey as well, and I'm learning. Please forgive me. Mm. And then course correcting along the way. Mm. And and, I, and from the, the flip side, those that we immediately point fingers and say, oh, look, that person isn't serious, right? Mm. What I say is lead with grace and assume positive intent. And, and I think that's so important. When someone does something, let's start out by assuming positive intent and then giving that person the skill or the knowledge they need along the way to get better and to improve. I'll tell you what keeps me up at night, you didn't ask this question, but let me tell you, is is a a little bit of the adverse. What I worry about is not only communications leaders and other, other leaders of that sort being paralyzed into inaction, but what I also worry about is those communications leaders that say, We've communicated a lot we've Mm -hmm. done we've done our bit now Mm we've checked the box Mm um it's time to move on to the next thing Mm -hmm. i think the reality is we're just beginning we have not communicated enough we need to get to the point where we're not just only having standalone communications on de and i uh, but that it becomes a ribbon that pulls through all the things that we do Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact i think one of the worst things that we can do is when we come to the point that we stop communicating or we try and slow communications Or we try and quell communications, that's the point when we know that we're turning down the wrong fork in the road. Mm. We need to take a moment and say, what is it that we're afraid of? Mm. What are we afraid of exposing our people to? Mm. And then actually address the root cause along the way. Mm.
0: That's a great answer. Thank you. Um, Now, another another difficult question and difficult one for me to ask, but I think it's really important that I do ask it. I'm a straight white middle-aged man. Okay, not a not a demographic that is traditionally seen as being maybe marginalised or discriminated against. How do we help ensure that people from traditionally less marginalised groups, you know, like myself, feel as though we're part of this agenda? And and what role should we be playing to kind of really take things forward?
1: Yeah, well, you may have heard this adage: um, "Speak truth to power." Right, and the reality is, as we think about history and we think about current time even though we made some small bits of progress in this world of diversity, the reality is um, straight white men are still the ones that are in leadership positions in a majority of the cases. And so we need you as an ally, right? We need you in the ally to help us in this journey. We need you to have that open air and to use your position and influence to really try and help pave the path and opportunities to help us drive closer towards equity, um, which as I think as a society, we just haven't reached yet. So a couple of things here. I think the role for a person like yourself um, is to be willing to learn and to grow. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited to be here with you today on the podcast is because I realize that means you're open to learning and then sharing with your listeners this opportunity as well. There's this opportunity and growth. And then it's how do you take that and convert it into action, right? For you, you're already converting that to action by just having the conversation. I think it can carry on beyond this around how do you, when you're connecting with your peers, how are you talking to them about this conversation that you and I are having right now mm-hmm. and sharing with them the tidbits that you learned and making recommendations mm-hmm. to your listeners and viewers. I think one of the things that we really can do is for them to walk away and say, let me be introspective here and think about how I can take some of these items and bring them into um, our workplace. Not just hiring someone to lead diversity and say I've done my bit, I've hired someone to do it, but saying how do I personally own that, right? So that's I'll talk to right now people that straight white men mm. that are in leadership positions in corporations. Mm. One of the things that um, that that we've done here is not only have we implemented diversity action plans that I have some accountability for, but each one of the leaders have accountability, not just for what their remit, Mm. you know, the business they look after has to do, Mm. but then there's this part personally, what are you doing as an individual as well? Mm. I think that personal action and that personal accountability around how they can help uh, move forward the mission is, is really so important and take a moment to step back, right? So when you're standing in front of a group and say, let me tell you what my company has done Add in there, let me tell you what I had done, mm. right, um, as well to help further that mission. That's one thing with an example, but there's something else um, that I wanna throw in here, Hugh, and that's this work around defining what diversity is, mm. right, and mm. so while you are self-described straight middle-aged white men, mm. um, I bet you, if, if we were to turn the tables and I started asking you a few questions, mm. we would find aspects of your diversity that you didn't realize. For example, you may have a disability um, that, that's, that, that I don't know about. Mm. Um, you may be a veteran and have served, and I'm sure just, all those mm-hmm. are actually parts of diversity. So it's helping you identify what your diversity is as well, in addition to some of the traditional things that individuals may think of along the way. And once we identify those, how do we put you in a position where you can take action on on those as well, in addition to being an ally? So take action on your own diversity Mm -hmm. and then be an ally for others along the way. None of us got to where we are on our own. Someone, someone advocated for us. We need the straight white men to advocate for diverse individuals.
0: We've done some work with with a global business around diversity and inclusion. And and one thing that they were very candid about was the fact that in different parts of the world, they were at different levels in terms of their progressive attitudes. So, for example, in Australia, they were really making headway, whereas maybe in parts of Eastern Europe, they had a lot more work to do. Is that something that you've experienced yourself or in the businesses that you've worked at? Is there a a pretty kind of even uh, level across the business?
1: No, I would say that we're in different places depending on where and where we are. And and I wouldn't even put a blanket on it and say we're at different points on a journey for diversity. I would say we're at different points for different aspects of, of diversity as well. Because one of the things is, as we as a company are very, very clear on what our focus is and what our mission is and what equity looks like for us as an organization, we also have cultural norms and differences that our employees have to live in right and so we work really hard to create this environment within uh within the auspices of Experian, where individuals can thrive and be their true genuine self but i think it's important to realize that they then have to go home and they have to interact with their families and the communities in which they work in so we want to create certainly that that safe space for them here within our organization and also let them know that you can be whoever you are here but also we want them to be safe as they traverse the communities in which they live as well. Um, one of the areas I think about is LGBT, um, uh, plus individuals or queer individuals. And depending on what country you're in, it could be physically unsafe mm. um, for, for a queer person to traverse their communities, it, if it were known uh, that they were LGBT plus. Um, and, and Experian, well, we're committed to equity and we will continue to do everything we can um, to ensure that we have a safe space and we allow people of all backgrounds, walks of life and perspectives to excel. We also want to be sure that we're respectful of the cultural norms where they live and we don't inadvertently put their lives or their or their being in danger or part of the way. And so, you know, you use the example of Australia, but fairly progressive in this LGBT arena, but there are some other countries where there are laws on the books that limit how you can practice mm. and experience love and life mm. in the way that a straight person would. Mm.
0: Uh, It's fascinating. Uh, I guess there are certain areas of diversity and inclusion that you tend to think of when you think of a diverse organisation and you think about attitudes towards ethnicity, sexuality, gender. Uh, Neurodiversity, I guess, is something that's becoming more to the fore a little bit, right? I've I've spoken to a previous guest who who has diabetes and she had to keep that under wraps. I've I've spoken to people who have dyslexia and how that's held them back in the interview process. My son is, is, is on the edge of the spectrum um, and I'm worried about how he's going to fare when he goes to interview for a job because companies generally don't gear themselves towards hiring people or, uh, you know, who, who maybe aren't able to communicate or, or charismatically uh, quite as well as others. Um, what, what's, what's your view on that? How do we go about improving company attitudes to neurodiversity as well?
1: Yeah. It's so that, that's really a great question. Neurodiversity is so important to, uh, should be so important to um, all of us. It certainly is to me. I think there's a couple of things. Is first of all, raising awareness that there are neurodiverse people that have contributions they can make to our organizations and companies. And then it's thinking differently outside of the norms of how we think about roles and opportunities that we have, right? Because there are individuals in a very traditional sense. And I'll I'll work my way into this question. In a very traditional sense, there are people that are really great at accounting. And so they're working in the accounting department of the organization. And then on the flip side, there are people that are really good at sales. And so they're working on the sales arm company. What do we do? We try and identify people with those skill sets and direct them to that appropriate place. And that's where they pursue their career. I think the same goes for neurodiverse people. So let's take someone that's on the spectrum. There may be and so they are just brilliant at because to using your phrase, you're not able to communicate charismatically, but they could be absolutely genius when it comes to coding or computer programming. Why wouldn't we use that same kind of that same kind of placement thought process and we are replace people in accounting or in sales and say, this individual may be socially awkward compared to what some would think are our normal standards. I, I think I don't really like that phrase "socially awkward," but let's, let's go with it for connecting with the audience. But they are really brilliant at, at this work around computer programming. So with that in mind, let's think differently around how we interview, how we select individuals, and removing some of the barriers that would have traditionally blocked access from that individual in getting. Now, I I do, I want to come back around to the the phrase that I use around socially awkward, because I think this is important. It's it's one that was made up by someone who got to define what standard was, right? Um, And instead, I think we should tear down these walls of what standard is and say, there really is no one that's socially awkward. There is really no one that communicates uh, charismatically or not. They just communicate differently than you do. Doesn't mean that they're any less impressive. And so, How I think there is work around changing sentiment while we're kind of doing some of those things to create a pathway to success for individuals that are neurodiverse. I think we also need to be creating a pathway um, to change the sentiment of individuals that are the gatekeepers to those roles. Those are the people that are doing the hiring and making the hiring decisions and helping them understand the value that individuals uh, bring to the table as a part of it.
0: Yeah, that's such a good answer. Thank you, Will. Um, when I was at uh, a company called Virgin Media, we we partnered with a UK disability charity called Scope, um, it's going back a few years, and as part of the engagement campaign we featured humour to call out some of the prejudices um, that people subconsciously display uh, towards disabled people. And I believe you've got a non-exec position at a disability, uh, is it a charity or a, a board
1: yes, yeah, a, a board, a board. Dis- I'm on two disability in which is a global disability organization, yeah. uh, focused on empowerment, and support of individuals with disabilities, and then the National Disability Institute. Since so
0: like Okay, well, I mean, th- at this company, we we worked with people to, to to kind of use humor to almost gently poke fun or, or draw out some of the, the, the you know the, the the prejudices that people display do you think that there is a role for humor around the diversity and inclusion agenda do you think in the workplace
1: well humor is a part of our life right um and, and so it's, it's part for us as humans as part of what helps us uh thrive and it's one of the coping mechanisms that, that many people use what i do say though is we have to be careful that what one thinks is humorous another one finds offensive and so it's it's a it's a very delicate balance as you look at it and Let's just look, history can be our teacher on this, right? We, you and I both can look at some of, the, some of these old shows that were on the telly that may have, uh, you know, screened back in the 70s or even the 80s. And people thought it was hilarious. And put today's lens on it. Mm-hmm it wouldn't pass muster you know well,
0: it's funny actually i mean my kids watch friends right and yeah who'd have thought that that now uh, looking at that now you you what you see certain things you think wow how did they get away with that but i guess it was a different time wasn't it
1: that's exactly it that's exactly it and so so that that's why i always say you know well so certainly humor does play a role it c- could play a role we just have to be really careful because um, humor, like much uh, like many other things, are in the eye of the beholder, yeah, Why, and well, one may think it's funny, another one may find it quite offensive, and, as a matter of fact, become turned off by by the entire thing. yeah, tread lightly.
0: yeah, no, that's that's a great answer. thank you. um i'd I'd like to move on from from humor into something a little bit more serious, really. I mean, talking a little bit about authenticity and to some extent, activism. And now, at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, some businesses were praised for acting with purpose. While others were accused maybe of, of tokenism and even even maybe opportunism, should we be celebrating corporate activism as a means to promote diversity and inclusion, or how can we be sure it's authentic?
1: Yeah, would you say? Well, a couple of things. The first off is we have to ensure that the work that, that companies and organizations that are doing aren't just window dressing, yeah. right? Yeah. And and to, to your point, opportunism, where someone's doing something because they feel like, hey, I have to do this just to, you know. Be spared the lightning rod that's coming my way, the lightning that's going to come my way, or, or outcry from my employees. But instead, that companies, the companies that I think should be celebrated or the organizations, and the answer to the question is yes, organizations that are doing the right thing for the right reasons should absolutely be lauded. And, and, and we should hold them up as an example of how good other companies can follow suit with. Um, What's really important, I think, though, is for us to take a look at those organizations and see how they are looking systemically throughout their organization and their company and making changes to really try and help, not just putting out a well phrased communication that says these are things that we're committed to, but they're actually changing processes along the way. And that they're actually working to ensure that the people that make decisions understand why these decisions are being made and things that they can do that they, that they may not be thinking of along the way. I like to call it conscious inclusion, right? So making a conscious decision to make changes to the way the company operates, what their what their rhythms, their operating rhythms are every day, and how do they come to the decisions that they have ahead of them. That's what's really important because the communications that, that come out on the tails of that should be an acknowledgment of the work that has been done,
0: mm.
1: not just that we think is important for equality to thrive, not just that we think it's important that Black people not be killed on the streets, as was the case that launched the Black Lives Matter uh, movement along the way. Mm. Um, it really should be around, how do you make substantive change in organization? And let me give you a couple of points around what do I mean by that. The organization is taking a look at their pay equity um, approach and processes and being sure that people are being paid equally for same jobs, no matter their backgrounds or their gender along the way. That organizations are taking a look at their policies and practices Mm -hmm. and ensuring that there are not some incidental places where policies are excluding a group of people inadvertently along the way. I'd like to believe that that in today's day and age is not intentional. And that's what I'd like to believe. So but isn't an, maybe some of those are carryover from a time gone by. Um, so let's take a look at it and figure out how we need to make changes and adjustments. And that this work is being championed not only from people that are in senior leadership, the C-suite and those that are important to the C-suite, but then that also there's work being done to address and talk to those frontline managers. We can't forget about people in organizations that are managing our individual contributors. And so how are we giving them the tools to get the work done that they need to get done that we're asking them to produce for the organization, but that we're also giving them an understanding of how to interact with people from different backgrounds and be respectful and appreciative of that, while also being productive in the work that we're trying to do. Those are really three, I think, concrete ways that organizations can do that. Now, how do you get after that? One of them, is by introducing uh, diversity learning into the organization and really ensuring that there's some discommitment put around learning. Another way is through development activities. What are we doing as we have development programs inside of organizations and companies to ensure that we are allowing our individuals to, we're giving them opportunities to grow and develop in areas where uh, they May have been excluded from historically along the way, and how are we helping them get ac- How are we helping those diverse individuals get access to that at the same rate um, that the majority population is, as well?
0: Yeah, thank you, Will. So, I'd just like to, um, in the last section, talk a little bit about how we can help businesses that are maybe just starting out on their DI journey. How, how, do we, how do we help them get started? I mean, what's the most important piece of advice that you'd give a CEO or business leader that's really looking to kickstart the agenda in their business?
1: Just yesterday, I was talking to a CEO of a business and um, she was asking me a similar question. And, and my advice is, is twofold for her. The first one was be honest with yourself. Don't see your company or your business how, how you would like it to be. See it for what it is today. And she and I went on to have a 30 minute conversation on what that was, and I'd like to believe she walked away seeing her company in a different light that she hadn't initially come into our dialogue about, right? Um, And then the second one is be deliberate with your actions as a result of that realization. Um, And so, oftentimes we say we're going to get after diversity and so there's this flurry of activity with everyone doing a whole you're boiling the ocean essentially and you have to get it all done within six months well this is like any other change management exercise you can't do everything all at once my my guidance to her same conversation was out of these things that we identified and to protect our company i won't mention her company or her name um but uh out of the out of the item I said let's choose two that you're going to address Um, during the next 12 months. And so she identified two areas as a result of uh, of our conversation that she was then going to take to the management team of her company um for them to then have a discussion on how they were going to integrate those two things one of those two things she was going to personally kind of champion and the the other item she was going to put one of her key lieutenants on uh, to help drive the organization so that executive sponsorship or championship is really important and then she's going to measure it measurement becomes so important as well let's not just say we're doing it and then say oh look at these nice activities we're doing as a part of it let's measure what success looks like we measure the success of ourselves we measure the success of our stock performance for publicly traded companies you know we have expectations that are set upon us by our boards by our investors and by our stakeholders diversity is no different treat it like the other business initiatives that we have measure it report on it hold yourself accountable for it and then pace yourself along the way. You didn't, we didn't get into this rut in the past 12 months, and you're not gonna get out of it in the next 12 months. But what we can do is continue to be very deliberate along the way, and then ensure that everyone inside of your population understands what you're doing, why you're doing it, and most importantly, what their role is in helping move it forward as well. Those are the biggest changes when people can see they can see how they can play a role in helping the organization move forward. They're more apt and more willing to actually become a part of a solution. That's what that's what I think we need to do. here.
0: I totally agree, and, and I guess it comes back to a certain extent to the to the question I asked earlier about you know someone like me and how how do you make some you know people who maybe don't traditionally feel as though they're part of the diversity and inclusion audience making them feel that yes they are and they have a really really important role to play. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, let, let me just give a really one thing that if a listener or a viewer could walk away from our conversation with today that mm-hmm. they can do i say um choose for them to walk away and choose three people that are different than them mm-hmm. and say i'm going to champion these three people individually and help them on their career pursuits that's an immediate action that any any of your, one of your viewers can take away today mm-hmm. i'm going to choose three people mm-hmm and say these three people, I'm gonna share with them some of the things I've learned in my career and I am going to work to open doors for them. Mm. I'm not just going, only going to talk to that person one-on-one mm. through mentoring, mm. I'm going to sponsor that individual. Mm. So when I'm at the table, when we're talking about talent and we're talking about um, where we can move people into, I am going to recommend this individual mm. and put a bit of skin in the game myself and say, um, we should we should allow this individual because they have the skill set to be able to accomplish the, the, the job mm. that we're looking at. Mm. Sponsored individual, not only mentor them.
0: Yeah. And and has that happened to you in your career, Will? Have you had mentors throughout your career that have that have opened doors for you and helped you take the, ne- the next step?
1: Absolutely. I've, I've had both mentors and sponsors along the way in my career. Um, many, but I'll mention one. I'll give you a name again. Um, Good man. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's there's a woman, um, her name is Jerry Thomas. Uh, she worked for uh, Bank of America for majority of her career. And I worked in many different jobs over my career. And rather, I at one point I worked for Jerry and I've worked around it. Jerry Thomas is now retired, but I still use her as a sounding board for myself um, and to give me advice. And what's really important to me is in my mentoring relationship with her, she gives me the tough love that I need and reminds me and kind of, you know, rattles me a little bit on the on areas I need to be focused. I know that it's coming from a good place. And she gives me the support and the pat on the back when I need it. And she gives me a swift kick when I need it as well. So I'm going to run deep focus. That, that's, and I think that's really important. Separately from that, I believe, I don't know because I'm not, I wasn't at the table, but I also believe that Jerry has been a sponsor of my career during her time with the bank as well, because um, you know, she's spoken for me at tables that I don't sit at when it comes opportunities to make decisions on who's going to get promoted and who's going to have an opportunity, right? I'd like to believe that Jerry and other people in my life like her have helped me along the way. I have that same thing here at Experian. I won't mention names on this one, right? But <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do know that there are people here that do, that do the same thing to me and give me, I will mention the name as a matter of fact. So there, there, there is a from mentoring perspective. There's um, our chief operating officer at Experience. His name is Craig Boundy. He's a, he's a, he's a great guy, um, but he gives you the unfiltered truth and you have to be willing to receive it. Like he gives me yeah. the unfiltered yeah. truth. Here's, here's what he thinks. Here's what he's paying. Here's why, but... what's what's so brilliant about him is he's also willing to learn himself along the way and acknowledge that he doesn't know everything, but he does wanna help you achieve your personal best as well. Mm. I value relationships like that. And I value the learnings that I walk away with. And I also appreciate um, when individuals, leaders are willing to learn themselves along the way. Mm. I believe that this work is a circle and it's not just one way, but but instead we all get to share with each other along the way. Mm.
0: Yeah, oh, that's a great answer. Thank you. And and just on that, um, you know, you, you clearly your talent has been allowed to shine and mentors and, you know, clearly your own dedication and ability um, and, and personality have allowed you to kind of to, to move on through the business and through, you know, to, to progress your career. But I guess you must have made mistakes along the way, right? I mean, I, I I don't want to put you on the spot. It's almost like that interview question, you know, what are your weaknesses? But what mistakes have you made along the way that you've learned from that? Have allowed you to kind of really move on to the next level would you say
1: i don't want to put you on the spot but i will <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that yeah um you know one of the things i've learned uh, i don't know if it was a mistake or not but there are times when i need to slow down because my brain and and and, and the pace at which i'd like to accomplish some things is really kind of rapid fire sometimes like I, I, and 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 I've found over the course of my career that I've had to slow down to be sure that I'm walking pace with everyone else. That everyone else is absorbing what I'm trying to do at the same rate. It's kind. Of, it goes back to you know when I said we can't boil the ocean. That's one of the things I've learned, right? Because to me, there are some things where I look at and I'm like, why wouldn't we just do that? I don't understand why we're having a discussion. We should just do this. But I also have to realize that there's other pressures in an organization, and we have to balance um, the all those other pressures in the organization, along with how much we as humans can absorb uh, new information and change at once as well. And for me, sometimes that means that we move a bit slower than I'd like us to, and I've had to slow myself down um, and pushing. So I think the mistake may have been, um, you know, over the past many decades is there's been occasions Mm -hmm. when I wanted to push faster than I probably should. And so I've realized that a bit of moderation goes a long way.
0: So, Will, uh, one thing that I I like to ask each of my guests to do before we wrap is to answer six quickfire comms-related questions. Are you up for that?
1: Yes, let's make it happen.
0: Good, good, good. Right, here we go. Uh, Sum up your communication style in three words.
1: Um, Collaborative, engaging, interesting, I hope. (laughs) Of all the comms
0: you receive, roughly what percentage do you delete without reading? (laughs)
1: If we include spam, um, the spam emails, I get 40%.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, What was the last message that landed in your inbox that really grabbed your attention?
1: It was a spam, but it started out with, here's how I can help you in the first sentence. And it actually told me how it can help me in the first sentence. And I went on to read it.
0: <laughs> there you go. You'll be giving lots of people advice now as to how to grab your attention in the future. I know, right? <laughs> in your opinion, what's the one thing a business can do to boost engagement?
1: Um, transparency. I think a business can really just be honest around where they see their pitfalls are and then tell their employees how they can help be a part of a solution in addition to what the company itself is doing.
0: What makes a good communicator?
1: One word. Authenticity.
0: (laughs) Good answer. Which communicator, alive or dead, do you most admire?
1: Oh, there's so many, Um, but there is um, a black American poet, Maya Angelou. Yeah, Um, And I just found her to be, she spoke with such clarity uh, along the way. I never walked away from any time I listened to her not understanding what she was saying. It was very clear uh, along the way. And I also walked away with things that I could do. I felt like I was being helped along the way. She's a poet, but she would speak on, you know, a gamut of things. And I always found helpful. I, I think she's an amazing communicator.
0: Yeah, she had that wonderful quote, didn't she? And I can't remember it exactly, but it was along the lines of, "People may not remember exactly what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel."
1: That's it. she really did. And I live that. I live by that adage myself, yeah. right? I want yeah. to make sure that you walk away from this experience, even if I have to deliver difficult information. Yeah. That you knew that I still cared. You yeah. Know? Yeah.
0: Well, listen, uh, Will, I mean, I will walk away from this experience uh, and remember it very fondly. And thank you so, so much for being so giving with your time. Really enjoyed it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, here. Be well.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to hear more from Delete Delete Engage, including live updates and early access to each podcast episode, why not sign up to the newsletter at deletedeleteengage.substack.com.